always fun to start the show with a letter, and uh, we have a lot of them, but I've chosen this one because it's very, well, it's unusual. I'll just say that. By the way, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Take a seat. Here's the letter. It comes from Jackie from Vancouver, Canada. Jackie writes, Dear Alex, my 40-year-old boyfriend Devin loves to eat Lucky Charms in bed at night when he plays video games and he never takes his bowl into the kitchen, which means I have to take it in every single morning. This past week I had enough. I stopped doing it and I swear now there's five bowls on the nightstand next to the bed. It's so gross. Anyway, he doesn't listen to me, but I'm sure he'll listen to you because he loves your podcast. So will you please tell him to take his bowls into the kitchen? Thanks, Alex. You're my last hope. Jackie. Uh, sure. Jackie, I will do that for you. No problem. All right. Devin? <laughs> I'm sure you're pouring the Lucky Charms into the bowl as we speak, so I'm going to say this over the clamor. Dude, bring the bowls into the kitchen, okay? And wash them. That's your job, too. I was going to say that if you eat a bowl of cereal and when you're done, you bring that bowl into the kitchen and wash it, you're behaving like an adult. But you're 40 years old. You're eating Lucky Charms in bed every night while you play video games. Not exactly a sentence that screams, I'm a grown-up. I hope that helps, Jackie. I've got your back. Keep us posted about the Lucky Charms domestic situation. We want to hear how this thing works out. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. There was never a plan. No need to explain. And here I am, starting over again. From the eyes of a baby. From the eyes of a bird. From the tops of the trees From the curbs in the street There's never a plan Starting over again No, never a plan Well, your eyes, they helped me They helped me to see That is the music of my guest today on the program, Julie Doiron. Let me tell you a little bit about Julie Doiron. Well, the New Brunswick-born Julie Doiron got her start at 18 years old playing with the band Eric's Trip. The very first Canadian band to be signed to Sub Pop, Eric's Trip put out modern classics like Forever Again and Purple Blue. And, though they called it a day in 1996, they have reformed for shows as recently as 2007. As for Doi Ron, she embarked on a solo career that, to date, has found her releasing close to 15 albums, including Loneliest in the Morning, Woke Myself Up, and her brand new one, I Thought of You. We'll get to that new one in a second, but before we do, here's a partial list of her accomplishments. She won a Juno Award with her collaborative album with the band The Wooden Stars, 
Her 2000 effort, Woke Myself Up, was shortlisted for the Polaris Music Prize. She's put out albums in Spanish and French. She's appeared on records by The Tragically Hip, and she was in the band Shotgun and Jaybird. June 7th was declared by the mayor of Bruno, Saskatchewan, to be Julie Doron Day. By the way, that's one day after my birthday, but there is no Alex Green Day. I'm pretty sure uh, that's true. If there was, something tells me I would know about it. But it'd be kind of cool if there really was an Alex Green Day and I didn't know about it. And everyone was celebrating me without me knowing it. (laughs) I don't know. Is that cool? Maybe it's not that cool. Because if I'm not there, it isn't really Alex Green Day. It's more like anti-Alex Green Day. (laughs) So, no, not that cool at all. Uh, Cooler than Alex Green Day could ever be, Julie's The Life of Dreams was used in an iPhone commercial. Now, as you can tell, Julie's pretty busy. But for all of her busyness, her brand new album, I Thought of You is her first full-length solo album in nine years. And it's a stone-cold killer. A riveting batch of wobbly indie rock that's a perfect blend of fire, vulnerability, and grace. I Thought of You is one of the most moving listening experiences you'll ever have. It's an instant classic. And Julie? Well, Julie's just lovely. Let me introduce you. Here's me and Julie Doiron, right here. On Stereo Embers, the podcast. I'm in a good place right now for sure yeah I feel good how are you (laughs) I'm I am in a good place too I think I I mean I I wonder if a good place is like a temporary place like you can't you can't occupy the good place for forever but it's nice to be in it for a little while I think that's exactly how I've been for the last like uh, I think um I was probably like that all my whole adult life but I don't think I was ever aware of what it meant I don't think I was aware of my places and where I was at in them until later on in life. I think I've been really aware of that lately more than anything. So there have been some obvious ups and downs. And I mean, for everyone in the last year and a half, but I was having them before as well, but I just didn't really maybe take the time to notice as much. So now I'm definitely aware of when I'm feeling, you know, stable and comfortable and and, and when I'm feeling less or when I'm feeling like I need to retrieve or re- retreat, sorry, retreat. <laughs> like something, and now I'm like really noticing like when I need to remove myself from certain situations and 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 I give myself that time to like not go out and not. Uh, I don't force myself to go out if I if I am feeling like I can't handle it, and then I just take that time for myself, or I'll go like to the woods or for a walk or something. But I. I I've been noticing more that uh, I seem to have forgotten how to have conversations as well. So here we go. We just started. And I'm already like, you know, I'll talk, I'll tell my whole story. Like the guy on the plane the other day, like the poor guy, like it was like seven in the morning and I was like, like just was just talking a lot. And then I realized like, after 10 minutes, like, okay, we probably both want to close our eyes. So I, and I, I did. So 
I used to be really good at picking up the cues and I find like uh, the last, you know, little bit has been made, made me less good at it. But I think I'm just realizing that I thought I was good at the cues and maybe I never was. <laughs> maybe I'm realizing I've never been good at following the cues. But I also think that, you know, for coming out of a pandemic, or at least we hope we are, uh, mm -hmm. I think we all, we all want to talk a little bit. I mean, we all, we're all a little bit looking for that social interaction. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it's been an interest, so many ups and downs with it. And a lot of people I know feel the same way. And I think that, um, yeah, in our lifetimes, we haven't experienced that type of forced isolation. Like some people are isolated, uh, not by choice. And some people are because they choose to be. Um, but I think this particular time, it, like the whole planet was like thrust into this without, you know, and we, I think that it's, I think probably the first time where the collective has all been like feeling the same emotions at different times. I mean, except for like, well, and then the anti-vaxxers and anti-masks are having a different set of emotions, yes. <laughs> but, like, yes. but uh, you know, I, I don't really like to think about that part as much <laughs> <laughs> let's not think uh, about those emotions when you when you're talking about forcing yourself to go out do you mean actually mm -hmm. like what does going out mean now because i'm a few years older than you and i and for me going i don't out think is, you are you don't look older than me oh i am i am older than you there's no way <laughs> yes okay. i am but you're kind okay. to say that well <laughs> okay <laughs> well, i was born i was born in 1970 Oh, okay. So just two years older than me. Two years older than you. Okay. So you were right. You were older than me, but not much. Not much, but, but, no. but yes, but I, and I have, I have weathered <laughs> under the California sun, Julie. So oh, uh, yes. I think I might look younger if I, if I was raised in, uh, in New Brunswick. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, I also don't wear, like, I don't wear sunscreen. I've been like reckless with that. Like, I feel like I don't want to rub something on my skin that blocks the sun. Like I'm scared of that. Yeah, I know. That, now I sound like an anti-vaxxer. <laughs> no, but like, I, I, I tend to just wear a, like, I try to wear long sleeves instead or like whatever when it's really hot or really sunny but that being said I've spent years without sunscreen where you know so I'm a little weathered as well when you when you think about so for us people of a certain age um for for like going out to me I'm like oh I went to the grocery store that that's close enough how what does going out mean to you <laughs> That's a similar, yes, I think I, I fall into that as being an outing. Um, right. Yeah, like, uh, well, you know, before I used to be really, I used to like to go out and socialize, and I think I used to go to, like, when I lived in, like, I don't live in, I moved right before the pandemic as well, so I'm living a little more rural, rural now, I have a hard time with that word, but um, um, a little, yeah, so I'm a little more isolated anyway in general, but where I'm living, um, so this year just made it really easy for me to just disappear there and forget to go out in places. But so before I used to go to the local pub in our town, when I lived in Sackville, it was a really sweet spot. I would go hang out, even if I wasn't having an actual drink drink, like I would just, I would go to the shows. And then I think that as time went on, well, you know, when I, like, I think part of that also like, okay, so to come back to your question about going out in my current I think my current place where I'm at, I think going out just means leaving, leaving the house, I think. So not like right. getting dressed, going like go, going to like, I, I've, I've been like really hesitant sometimes to go to the social events. Like I get 
a little more nervous lately, like about doing that kind of thing. And that's not even, I don't even think that's related to the last year and a half. I think, I think I was starting to feel that way anyway. But, but I think that also comes back to like, maybe my age, maybe I'm tired. And I think also like I did have a, you know, a few years ago uh, when I had a, like a breakup. Uh, and so I, I get like, it's not my first time. I've had many breakups, but this, that, so that last one was that, you know, when I, when I moved out of that house, I moved, ended up moving into an apartment in the country in like a basement apartment at a friend's house. And uh, I think that was part of the beginning of my withdrawal like from more activities and more because I had to like take the car to go into town and so I was like I could bike but it was a commitment and it was like a you know it was in the winter less feasible so I think all those things together kind of made us because I couldn't walk into town as easily because I just started like maybe staying home more often but but I was making yeah I used to go to all the shows that passed through town and stuff but and everything that came through town well not necessarily everything but uh now I'm finding like I've been, uh, it's more difficult. And I don't know if it's just because I'm tired or because I'm older or because of this current situation or, you know, I did have a child at 40, another child at 41. So that kind of made it so that I stayed home more often in general. So that, so all those factors. But I think that, yeah, I haven't necessarily been going out that much. Although my, so I have a boyfriend who lives in Montreal and, and we, this last year, was, so that was a crazy time. Um, but when we're there, we walk around everywhere and we go, we go out way more. So it could be just a, like a country versus city thing as well. I think if I was in a city, I would definitely just sneak out of my house more often. It would be different. How, how rural are you right now in terms of location wise? Are you, are you far, like, are you far from this? If you want to go see a band, is that possible? Well, yeah. So like I ended up getting a house like outside of Moncton. So I grew up in a city called Moncton, New Brunswick, in, in the province of New Brunswick. And that's maybe has a hundred thousand people. Like if you, cause they've, they've, it's like Moncton, Dieppe and Riverview, all the cities and towns kind of um, amalgamated. And that's maybe a hundred thousand, somewhere between 80 and a hundred. I don't actually know. And then like when I, I left there first to go to Sackville, which was a community, like a half an hour from Moncton, a small town, a university town. So like there's an artist run center and like the gallery, uh, commercial gallery, and use like the, the gallery of the university. Like, you know, there's an arts program and it was like a lot of bands would stop over at Sackville on the way to, to Halifax from Moncton. So I, uh, so I used to go to all those shows, but when you say bands coming through, like the shows that come through are more like local, like Canadian bands. Sometimes we have American bands, but we're not like on the, where I live in the East coast, like we don't get nearly as many bands coming through as like Montreal and Toronto. Right. Pretty fun. So usually those bands have to be like on a Canadian tour or they have to have some type of connection with Halifax or Moncton to come all the way out to us. But um, where I'm living now is, it's called Memram Cook and it's about 15 or 20 minutes from Moncton. It's between Moncton and Sackville. And uh, it's, yeah, like it doesn't have a grocery store, but it has still a lot. Like it has a couple of convenience stores and it has like my daughter's school is in Memram Cook and there's, there's like a skating rink and there is stuff. There's definitely like a lot of trails and paths and there's like a golf course, which I, I don't play golf, but I mean, there's that. And there's <laughs> there, but you know, it's it, it's a really large spread out region, like in a valley. And um, but uh, yeah, they just oh, there is a new cafe in the in the monument, like the one of the historical buildings. So they're trying to make that go well. They're 
I'm supposed to be playing there in November, but they just pushed, they're doing like a, a, every Thursday, a fundraiser show for the cafe, but they pushed it to February. So now I'm going to be doing that in February. But so that would be great if that kind of picks up and stays. There's an ice cream shop, you know, but everything, you kind of need a car. Like it's beautiful to walk there, but like you can't just zip from one place to the other by foot. You know, it's a commitment. I see. So there, there is a golf course, but no grocery store. Wait a second. <laughs> I know. I know. And then there was like a, someone told me that like the new mayor had to, was, well, this is a rumor I heard, like I never heard this though, through official sources, but that they were thinking of trying to get a grocery store in town, but I think that fell through. So I think there used to be one, there used to be a couple back before I lived there, but now there's a hardware store really, and we have the post office, two post offices actually. <laughs> Two post offices, but no grocery store. This is a weird town, Julie. No, it's just because everything's so spread apart. Like where <laughs> my, I'm on the other side of the valley, so we've got post office, and then in town is the post office. Yeah, that's why. Does yeah, does yeah. rural living does that does it suit you? Do you find that creatively that you kind of can get into the pocket easier? Well, that's an interesting question because I've always I I always had the fantasy of having like a house in the country. You know, I I think that fantasy is really, you can really romanticize it and it sounds so beautiful and, and, uh, and I love it. I love where I am. I, I love it very much, but I've also always erred on the side that I need to be living in a city. I need to be able to walk to places. Like I, I don't want to rely on having a car to get to places, but so if I, so I had always imagined that my other three kids when they were adults, cause I was sharing my kids with my ex, um, like we moved back to Sackville from Toronto at some point because just because you know the collective needed to move back and so I because I was sharing my kids with my ex like his partner was like moving back for work or whatever so then we had so then I moved back to Sackville and um I had always imagined that when my youngest from that relationship would be an adult then we would move my partner with whom I had the fourth child and I would move to Montreal. And we had discussed it. And then, but he and I broke up by that time, when that time would have been available to move to Montreal, we had broken up. So then we're kind of established in Sackville. And so right now I'm kind of just waiting until I guess my youngest is an adult and then maybe I'll move to Montreal. I do love being in a city and I love being in the country as well. And so I think creatively in terms of, to come back to your actual question, I think, I think I need both, but mm -hmm. what I've noticed is when I'm writing, when I'm in writing mode, I am walking either in the woods or I'm either by the water or I'm either on a bike ride somewhere. So I don't tend to write in the city. So I need to be in a city, I think socially and to feel a, a part of the universe. <laughs> like I think I need to be in a city to feel connected to other humans easier. Um, but I think that I do more writing in the country. And I will admit that since even because when I was living in that apartment, also far from town, uh, when I first moved out of my last relationship, um, that was also in the country, like in, I mean, there were houses around, but it wasn't like super isolated, but it was still like not right in town. And I did a lot of writing there as well. So I'm going to say that I think I actually do more writing when I'm removed from the distractions of the city or the excitement of the city maybe you know distraction might not be the right word but I think that yeah when I'm just home alone and I'm not I can't just like zip out to the cafe or zip out to like a bar or whatever like I think that I I can that's when I actually take time to actually write I guess yeah 
you are, I mean, you're a very collaborative person. You've collaborated throughout your career. Um, living in a, in a, where you are now, do you feel that you kind of feel you're going it alone or is there still a collaborative element to what you're doing? Well, that also is a good question because I, I really need collaborations, I think, to feel, it's to continue to be inspired. Like, so I, yeah, I have done a, quite a few collaborations and I feel really lucky about that. And I feel like I've always been able to do them with friends like, and, and uh, I learn a lot in every one of those collaborations. Like I learn by watching the way they work and, and, and seeing how they proceed throughout the day and how, and I've been really lucky that the people that I get to collaborate with are really like chill. Like they're, they're motivated and they produce a lot and they work a lot but they're not in the moment when I'm there with them. Like it never seems stressful or never seems like, oh, we only have five days. we got to get it. Like, there's never like that feeling like, okay, we have to get this done. We're going to do this and this and this and this. Right. It's, it's like you get up, you have coffee, make a smooth, like <laughs> smoothie or whatever, whoever I'm working with is like different, different modes in the morning. But, and then we just get started and it's like, I don't know. And for me, it's really important to see that because I have such a distracted mind it's like a snowstorm in my mind all the time like I just and I I, I run around like in circles like I'll <laughs> like I sometimes like my morning doesn't start anything like that like I do make a coffee that's like a, and then like I think like oh maybe I should check my emails like I have th 3,500 unread emails you know and a lot of them are newsletters like from stores that when you buy something and then they, I, and some I gave my email like three years ago or whatever and then so I'm trying to unsubscribe to a bunch of things so they can actually get my work done but so like, I'll do that. I'll start reading emails and then like, oh, then I, after like eight, I just like can't. So then I take a break and then like, maybe I, maybe I play my guitar for five minutes, maybe, or then like, I'll, so then I try to exercise or then I have a dog now. So I've had him for almost a year, which of course is a wonderful thing. But like, I, I'm my main, like, I seem to be really focused on making sure he gets a lot of exercise. So then I take him for his big walk in the morning and then I, then I, then I come back and maybe I exercise and then I, maybe I have lunch and then, then maybe I pick up my guitar again. And then maybe, then sometimes I go for a swim or whatever, because I seem to be obsessed with, with like trying to be physically healthy, but then mentally I'm all a mess all over the place. So, um, and then my, usually like my daughter, she comes every other week with me and she, so it's one week on, one week off with her dad. And then she gets home from school at three. And then, uh, so then after that, it's like no more time to work. Like I try to get all my actual work done before she gets home because I don't want to be on a device when she's there. So like, I don't, because I don't want her to be like to, to learn that behavior. But, I mean, that being said, she gets to have her iPad time, if you will. But like right. during school, we reduced the time down to a lot. So, um, and it's not a guarantee during the school week now that we're back in school, but um, the, the pandemic kind of, forced that on all the parents so like before she didn't get what we call ipad time in quotations <laughs> i hate calling it that like she she can't try to come up with other names for it, but like yeah so before we didn't she was like hardly ever on it we used it to watch a show because i don't have a tv but i have like netflix on the ipad or whatever crave or these things and uh and then with a the school from home when when everything closed down they had to do their schoolwork from home so we needed to have like all the different like teams and all these things for the kids to be in touch with their teachers and so that made it so that she had to be on it and she was only in grade two and one at the beginning grade one and then two that was like a kind of a lot I found that that was hard to come back from like it's hard oh. to take it away again after so 
so we we anyway we balanced that and just to say that like I think um the collaborations I always have to remember what the original question is because I go off I think collaborations are really good for me and really important and uh I really love playing with musicians I also on the other hand also really need to do solo shows as well just to and that's the only reason I feel like I need that sometimes is to ground myself is to to remember like how it feels to actually be playing because I find I can really like pay attention more because I'm not listening to anyone else's playing so it's like I can close my eyes and just be like okay this is the feeling that I I guess that I remember loving when I'm playing and that I can slow down or speed up or choose whatever song since I don't make set lists so I, I just play whatever song comes sometimes I end up thinking about what I'm going to play next while I'm playing the song which is a bad habit because that takes me out of the song a little bit <laughs> like what can follow this song really well like I'm on autopilot just playing the end of the good but um yeah I think the collaborations are an important part of I think learning and ev evolving uh yeah and I'm, I'm grateful that anybody would want to collaborate with me. It's like <laughs> people love collaborating with you. Are you kidding me? They, that, that's, that's one of the, that's one of your things. People seem to love to work with you. Well, I'm really grateful for it because uh, I, I do sometimes need a little kick um, to, to get going. Like uh, some, I could easily, some up until recently, I should say, I could have easily just because I had kind of gone on a bit of a creative hiatus for quite a few years after my last solo album. And, I uh, could have easily just continued that for the rest of my life, I think. And then I was even writing some, like I started writing, so I stopped in 2012 when my last record came out. I toured a bunch while I was pregnant. Like I toured up until 32 weeks um, pregnant. And then uh, I had my, my daughter and I just didn't want to tour anymore. And I didn't want to write anymore. I just wanted to focus on being a mom and being a full-time mom. And uh, so I did that for a long time. And then I finally wrote, two songs in 2016 because I was invited to be a part of a collaboration and we each each artist had to bring like two songs and so I had to write them it was like the day I was going to do that thing I so I wrote the two songs the day of basically one of them fully the day of the other one I had like a verse already done and then um and I had never co-written before I've collaborated musically but I'd never co-written the songs um and I was really pleased to see that it wasn't as scary as I thought it would be. <laughs> but those guys were awesome. Like they were really like, okay, Julie, we'll just, it's gonna be chill. We're gonna be like in a cabin for a week and you can do your like yoga in the morning and we'll make breakfast. And it was like really conducive to being like, <laughs> like a really positive vibe, you know, so really nice. So after that, I realized I could co-write actually. Um, and then after that, in 2017, I ended up writing a bunch of songs in the 18. So then they, everything kind of started pouring out after 2017. And uh, I've been kind of writing ever since. I maybe had like a year off after we made this last album that's coming out in November. We recorded that in February 2020. And then I was like, I hadn't really written. Like I had written, I think, my last song in like January 2019. 2019 like I had done a big so batch from 2016 to 19 and I don't know if I wrote any after that then like I had started dating like my current boyfriend in 2018 and he he produces like a lot of artists or artists in Quebec he's like a Quebec perform like artist and songwriter um he sings in French and he's known here and uh um and he was like, you know, you should probably start thinking about making your next record. It's been a while. And I was like, 
I don't think so. Like, I don't, I didn't have any plans to record. I was kind of nervous. I'm, I get nervous in the studio about like committing that particular performance of the song. Like I'm always, I love playing live because it's not permanent, you know, you can, but making an album is that definitive, like that's the version that's going to remain, you know, and that has always, I'm super scared of commitment in general, like of signing contracts and <laughs> so like, <laughs> but like, so but he loves being in the studio and he's used to working with artists. And so and I was like, well, I don't know. So then at one point, like we did do the demos in his studio, like in April of 2019. And then I realized I had enough songs for an album. So finally we started to think about it a little more. And then it was like, it just all came together really quick where we were like standing outside at a festival that I was playing with my, with Dan Romano, who, who plays on the record and his brother, Ian, who played the drums. Um, we were all, we were on the same bill. Me and Danny, my boyfriend is also named Danny. So Danny, he, we were standing aside and then Danny brought it up that I was going to maybe record soon. And Ian was like, oh, I'd love to play drums. And then like Daniel was like walking by in the background. He's like, I want I'll play guitar on that. And then we were like, oh, okay. So I guess we're good. We've got a band for the next album. And then uh, we just coordinated our schedules and everyone was available in February. And so basically I, I ended up being thrust into like a recording situation that I, I wasn't seeking, like I didn't seek it. It just kind of came together thanks to the people involved that wanted to play with on it. So, so I'm really grateful for that because I, I, that album never would have happened. Like all those events that brought us to that, that moment of like being like, okay, this could happen. And oh yeah, you want to play? Oh, you want to play? Okay, that's amazing. And then, and if my boyfriend hadn't brought it up at that point, like it wouldn't have been the same musicians and it wouldn't have happened in that time. And it wouldn't be at all the same record. The songs would be the same because I wrote them, but like they would have been, a, I don't know what they would have been sound like. So I'm really happy that it happened that way. But the collaborations are good. Like I love, I had already collaborated with Daniel Romano on the folk project that Daniel, Fred and Julie and, and but usually it's the people coming to me with the collaboration ideas. Like it's usually, cause I've, I think that I'm, I don't know how good I am at instigating the projects or following through. I can come up with ideas, but I think maybe I'm afraid of rejection. So I don't think I go to people. Mm. Like, I don't think I'm, I don't know that anyone I would ask would say yes, but then I'm afraid to have to follow through and come up with the, like the actual music. So I feel like if I'm invited, then I, then I have to show up and do it. So, so maybe I haven't been the most proactive in starting the collaborations, but I've always basically said yes I think when people invite me and maybe I say yes so that it, it so that it forces me to actually grow in that way and to to be less afraid I guess of, of creating uh, yeah and I think that collaborating also gives me the opportunity sorry Dave, I just wanted to before I lose that thought I think that collaborating also gives me the opportunity to actually create uh, as a team and it feels less scary when when you're not on your own you know yeah and I think it's also one of those things where like it's easier to be a guest than than a host like if you're it's easier mm -hmm. to like be a guest at a party than to host the party it's like a totally different thing um, yeah so now I feel a bit bad because I'm really like I'm just profiting off of other people's like um, <laughs> just kinda, uh, like, um I don't know the word in English right now it's um like of uh, their um of their you know when you invite someone they're uh, i'm forgetting the word like their warmth or whatever of like inviting you over their uh i don't know I, i've lost the word 
anyway, I don't, okay. I don't think you're doing that. I think you are doing great. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, I think that you are, I mean, you find, you find the sort of groove that works for you. Um, mm -hmm. What's really interesting to me is that if you, if you think of your mind, like you were saying, there's like the snowstorm of your mind, right? And you think like if creativity is, if songwriting is reaching your hand into that snow and pulling out a, a snowflake and, and playing around with it until it's something that resembles a song or a composition, um, to consciously think, I'm not going to write a song, I'm going to spend time with my daughter and I'm going to go swimming and walk the dog. I'm not going to write songs for a while. But the snowstorm is still continuing, right? You're just uh -huh. ignoring it. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I think we have, yeah, the snowstorm is still continuing it. I've just ignored it for a long time. Yeah. I, and so I like to think of it as just a snowstorm of creative ideas that I, I, that makes a very positive spin on that because I think in my current time, like approaching, 50 and whatnot I've, I'm realizing that I, I've spent a lot of time in my adult years being like in a little bit of chronic stress response like just being constantly like not 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 a not relaxed that's for sure and just kind of like whoo like a, just a like a whirlwind of like emotion and and um not being able to focus on certain things like you know, just recently it was brought to my attention that perhaps I have ADD, which I had never considered before. But I mean, I think, and then and I'm always like, well, doesn't everybody like, I was like, surely yeah. everybody feels this way. But I actually don't know. And that might be like ignorant, very ignorant of me to say something like that. But like, I just, um, yeah. So I think that I like the idea of thinking of it as this constant, like of, of a snowstorm of ideas and, and, uh, and perhaps that is why I have been able to write songs because I've never understood where they come from. And I know I've heard other songwriters like very, I think even like very famous songwriters have, have not been able to understand where they come from. And I think like, I, I mean, I would, so I don't want this to sound like obnoxious or whatever. Like I, I, to be fully honest about my songwriting style, like I don't spend hours laboring. Like I don't rewrite. I don't, I, I spend like, <laughs> like I don't spend a lot. And obviously like my songs are pretty simple in terms of structure. Like I never put a bridge or like, you know, it's very basic songwriting. And I just kind of, it's a very intuitive way. Like I just let them come out and I don't spend a lot of time rearranging and, and, and maybe that's the way I like them. I, I, I don't think it's a laziness thing. I think it's just but late, lately, I have been taking more time with them. Like sometimes they still just come out in 10 minutes and then they're done. And that I'm really grateful for. But sometimes I come up with a, a verse or a line and then I sit on it for a couple of months and then I have, and then all of a sudden another song will just pour out fully finished. And then I flip through my sketchbook. And I'm like, oh, right, that. Or like I'll go through my voice memos and looking because sometimes I have partial songs and then I want to like work on finishing them. And then so there is no one specific way that I work on songwriting, but I, I do find that uh, I think that, yeah, that I'm just going to continue to go with that vision of snowstorm or maybe <laughs> flurry, the flurries, like the snow flurries is a nice way to think of it because I think the ideas or the emotions are always moving around in there. And maybe if I, you know, at one point my doctor, briefly suggested that I might want to consider taking like an antidepressant and and I think that works for a lot of people and but I I said well I'm gonna just hang up hang you know just hang tight for a little bit and see because it's it I always end up you know it always 
my, when I get in those places, like that, I always come back out of it. And it's like, so I, I've been doing that for so many years that I know that it passes for me, it passes after a few days. Like my, my low periods are just like, uh, that's the way my, my situation is. Um, so I think that that whole thing, that mess that happens in my head all the time, like in those low moments too, because I can't write when I'm feeling down. Like I, I definitely don't write. I, I'm pretty uncreative in my lower periods hmm. and I seem to create when I come back out of it so that seems to be like so I think that's all part of the part of my creative or partly why I'm able to write songs I think is because I have some many different emotional experiences as well so but I I'm definitely I do all my songwriting when I'm happier I mean that's probably not accurate as well. I've probably written some <laughs> songs. That, I'm so, you know, I, I was believing no one you. Way. Yeah, I, no, I think, well, I'm just like, so I'm so, I'm a stickler for the deep, for the facts. Like I need to, like, I'm like, oh wait, maybe that wasn't the way it was. Like I used to, when I would tell stories, I'd have to have the date and the time. I would be like, oh, I just, I realized at one point I had to like not get stuck up in the middle of a story. Be like, well, wait, was it Tuesday or was it Wednesday? And like, oh, no, it was Wednesday. Yeah, it was Wednesday. Like, it was sometimes was the worst storyteller. Like, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that when I stopped writing and I was spending time as a mom, I was just like, just gathering the experiences. I think for when I was finally ready to uh, to let them out. I want to apologize for all the times we never spoke. All your hopes and dreams, it seems like I just ignore them. But I thought of you almost every day. And I thought of you many moments in the day. It's been so long, I haven't had a lot to say. 
when you when you are writing from a happier place, not a despondent place, can you write about things that are mournful and and heavier? Is it provide a perspective that you wouldn't have if you were just in it? When I'm writing from the sorry, from which place? Yeah. So if you're if you're feeling if you're if you're feeling the opposite of despondent, if you're feeling like yeah. you're in a good place and you're writing. Yeah do you have a better perspective of the despondent stuff, the despondent material? Huh. Uh, well, I don't know, because now that I'm rethinking this, like maybe I did write a lot of my sadder songs when, I, well, no, I always feel like I came through it and then was like writing when I was back, kind of back on track in terms of like my normal schedule and just, uh, so the perspective, I don't know, actually, I don't, I don't know. I'm also, I'm at a point in my life too where I often don't have any answers. Like I don't know, like when I spend time thinking on my own and sometimes things just make so much sense. And then when I try to actually express it with words, I'm not able. And that's something that's happened in the last few years where I'm like, I'm like thinking a lot and I'm, and I'm finding ways to be at peace or like finding ways to like, you know, I'm just like uh, learning more about or observing more about be humans and or just life around us and just like, but I don't know how to put any of it into words. And I'm not, you know, obviously I'm not like, a, I, I've never really studied philosophy and I'm not a psychologist. I don't really know. I just like my, my experiences I'm just trying to figure out who I am or whatever. And then, so that whole, like, that question, I don't know how to answer it because I, I want to say that I'm able to have perspective Better, maybe a better perspective but at the same time maybe like let's say some of the songs that the sadder songs maybe if I was writing them when I wasn't sad maybe maybe they're not as good as they would have been if I had been writing them when I was really sad hmm. and and I think that maybe I did write some when I was sad for sure I mean there's some sad songs. I know that I wouldn't I know that I'm, I'm actually quite glad that I've had breakups and and like heartbreak and because I don't know what else I would have written about otherwise like right. I do write a lot of nature like I do find myself writing about like being in nature and stuff I think and I more than I had ever realized but um but yeah I think uh, my uh my style of writing has definitely been about like love loss and things like that so so maybe that goes that falls into maybe why I don't like commitment to one <laughs> like when somebody says they want to spend the rest of their life with me I'm like okay bye <laughs> like that's not the way to enter a relationship like I, I can't uh, like even when I'm fully falling in love it's like you have that idea like oh like when you know it's normal to think that you want to spend the rest of your life with someone I think when you're first falling in love but it really like makes me because I'm always like well how can you know right now that you want to spend the rest of your life with me like I could be a horrible person to you in five years you know like I might become like you know who knows like not that that's how I set out I don't I don't want to be mean to anyone but like when you, you know a lot of relationships turn sour and people just start not being as nice to each other because they can be, and so that doesn't mean it's right it just means that's the person they end up taking out their stuff on the person that they fell in love with you know the person they see all the time and I don't ever want to be in a relationship like that so when someone says that they want to spend the rest of their life with me I'm like oh but you know what the relationship doesn't stay the same way for the I mean, I have met a few couples that seem genuinely happy and they've been together for 50 years and they seem, but I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know. 
I just always want to make sure I'm in a relationship that the person and I are going to treat each other with love and respect. And, and I always want to maintain somehow that spark that you have when you're first falling in love with someone. And uh, so that is just an aside from the idea of like, uh, of, um, if I hadn't had like heartbreak, then I wouldn't be able to write any songs. Although I do feel like I've made a lot of mistakes in my life that, uh, that I don't like to refer to as mistakes because then they were all life experiences that I, that I needed. So, yeah. Well, I mean, to me, the takeaway on that is, is that it's so lovely that you've met people who so early on wanted to spend the rest of their lives with you. That's a lovely <laughs> thing. What a beautiful quality that ha- that is. I don't know why though. I don't know why they would want. I'm so, <laughs> sometimes I'm so all over the place, like, ooh. And you know, anyway, but yeah. I mean, I can't I, find people who want to spend the day with me, Julie, let alone the rest <laughs> of my life. Oh God, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that there is, for someone like you were saying that you're afraid of, of contracts, I can see someone saying that to you would definitely set off some fear uh, for someone who doesn't like to even sign contracts, right? That would be like, yeah. Well, and you know, obviously when I, I like when I, when I've been in the mode of falling in love, I feel like, oh my God, you just, you're so excited to spend all your time with that person. And so I understand that. And maybe I've also felt that way, but I think because I've been in love many times and it didn't work out that now I just feel like, uh, that just seems like the idea of like, like, I think that I could see myself spending my life with the person I'm in love with, but like, I don't like I get nervous about like those ideas of like it being forever. Like, how can something be forever? It, I mean, it could, but I mean, yeah. I don't like to have it as a guarantee. Like, because what makes me nervous is like when people like, and maybe I will get married again. I don't know, but um, and maybe not. But if I, I find that I've always been afraid of the idea. Like you know, you when you get married, and then I feel like I would maybe I don't know. I'm scared of that idea of like. It changes things, but I mean, there's a lot of people who are married and they're in love, and I'm I'm happy for them. <laughs> <laughs> they pulled off, yeah. I mean, you you did say something earlier. You were saying that like you 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 want that initial spark to remain, and that's I, I don't I think it's supposed to change. I think the spark is supposed to chemically become something deeper than the spark. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. I could. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Maybe like what I would want is like for it to just remain as like the pilot light in the right. <laughs> like right. Oh, you know, kind of always there in the in the oil st- in the gas stove. You know, like there's like the pilot light to light the fire. Like I think that I've never thought of it that way. But if I was going to do like a visual image to go along with it, maybe that's right. I think something that would be consistent, consistently sort of burning, like and. Uh, so with the potential for like, I don't know. Yeah, you know, cause it's not realistic to try to have the same like butterflies that you get when they're first like meeting someone. Right. I, I mean, I guess it's not, fe- like it's not maybe realistic to expect those to be there every morning when you get out of bed and, or maybe it is, I don't actually know anything anymore. Like I really <laughs> don't know. Like I, I hate the idea of like trying to seem like I know what's going on because I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't have any answers. Oh, no, I mean, the, listen, we have no answers. We only have questions. And I think that's good. Yes. I think in love, though, I think that you, you need to have frustrations with the other person. And you need to mm-hmm. have, uh, you know, a kind of um, 
a feeling of like, God, I can't believe they just did that or here they are again doing their thing. But <laughs> I think that if you, it, that every time you look at them, that you, you just like what you see because you know who they yes. are, the quality of mm-hmm. who they are as a person. I don't mean anything about physically. I mean, like you look at them and you go, I know who they are and I love mm-hmm. them. And I think that's cool. So like, mm-hmm. but if they didn't frustrate you and you were sort of blissfully thinking everything was amazing, that might be weird. I agree. I agree. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And you know, one of the things that, one of the things that I was talking, like, uh, I was talking in like a, like a type of support group at one point, And I was saying, cause I really love my, my boyfriend that I'm with now. Like he's, he does, he's amazing. And I, one of the things I had said once in this like group was that like, that I have a tendency to almost sabotage that relationship because I don't feel like I deserve to have like such an amazing partner, her boyfriend, you know what I mean? Like I almost, I almost found myself like sabotaging it because I felt like I wasn't good enough mm-hmm. and he was not doing anything to make me feel that way. Like he was like telling me how much he loves me, and, you know, and, and how like happy he is that he want that he, you know, with me and all. And so I would think I was feeling like, well, scared that maybe he was going to discover that I'm not as like me because you know when you're first started to date someone you're you're really bringing your best forward you're not going to be like a jerk right from the, you're right. Not, gonna, not a good strategy you know, yeah like you know when you wake <laughs> up in the morning and, and let's say like I need at least 15 minutes to wake up and then you know if someone else if he doesn't uh I you know the the beginning stages you're not going to be like that you're going to be like oh yeah good morning it's like right <laughs> I know very well that I have to like, I need, like, I'm not great in the first few minutes, but um, yeah. So just, I think that I was feeling like, oh, I, I kept almost like ruining the relationship just, and I don't know if it was fear of, of having something that was so wonderful, is wonderful and, and supportive and just like feeling like, I don't know, that goes way back to, you know, that's, that's a question for like therapy and stuff. And I, I touched on that a bit, like I was seeing a counselor for a while and and we we talked about that type of thing for a while, but like, um, yeah. So that's kind of like maybe that also goes in with the idea of like me not starting the collaborations because I'm like I think I've just been afraid of being like rejected or just feeling like. And then the crazy thing is like when people like, for example, like my boyfriend loves me and I love him and we love each other, but like when he, like when let's say like he tells me he loves me and I'm just scared like oh but. But maybe like, I was like, but I'm not that great. Like, and then I, it puts me in this, like, it's this, this weird thing. Like I so all of a sudden start to feel like, oh, you know, all these weird emotions of like, I'm, you know, might not be good enough for this or good enough for that. And maybe like, you know, sometimes I'm tired and I just, you know, but I put too much pressure on myself because I think that I, I think I can be a good partner. So, or I am most of the time, I think. So like, yeah, it's a ridiculous irrational, or it's maybe irrational, uh, this irrational fear of like, of failing. And so sometimes I think I just want to fail, right? Get it over with. So like you almost find yourself being like, well, maybe I should just be single for the rest of my life because then I don't, I can just, then I don't have to worry about failing or whatever, but, but I'm not going to do that. No, it's nice to be partnered. And I and does that does that extend to your music too? Where if someone says to you, "I really love your album," do you go like, "What's your reaction to that?" Is it the same kind of thing where you go, "Oh, it's not that good"? Or what do you? <laughs> well, 
<laughs> so that's also like I think I've had phases in my through my career where I've been like oh because there were times where I would like because I always made the, each album I made over the years was the album I wanted to make at that time so okay. whether it was quiet or whether it was like you know what like I always ended up making the album I want to make sometimes I go back and listen I go my gosh I can't believe I sang like you can't understand what I'm saying like I'm I'm not enunciating like I just like so but still that was the album I needed to make at that time to get to the next album to get to the next album so um so there have been times where like people have told me that they love the the album or they love whatever after my show or whatever where depending on how I'm feeling at that moment where I, I I can't, I find it, I did used to maybe not respond so gracefully where I would be like, oh, but I did this and I did that and I messed up that song and I was like in the, and the, they don't, they didn't notice anything like that. We, of course me, they I did. spent the whole show going like, oh, why did you do that? Like, you know, and then, so, but now I think I'm, I'm a little more wise now with that where when somebody tells me that they love the album or they love the show I say thank you and I have to hold myself back though from saying like oh but you know but but it's a little different with this new album I, I love the, I'm so excited about it and I don't even like I'm so excited with like the, everyone who played on it was amazing and it was a really easy recording session it was like no no tears no nothing like it was done in three like all the instruments were done in three days and then I sang everything pretty easily I might have re-sang like a couple songs like a month later where I was like well I don't like the way I sang that part so then but I, I think one song but um yeah so I think that with this album I think maybe because I'm older it's been a long time since I put a record out and I really love this record I'm super happy and like you know there was one night I was listening to the master and I started crying because I was so happy and I texted like Ian and Dan to be like thank you so much for making this record happen because it wouldn't be the same record without the musicians who played on it so without Danny and Daniel and Ian like it would it would just not be the same record obviously so this record I have 100% no doubt in my mind if somebody says they love the record I'd be like yeah me too like me too like I'm super excited about it and so that's not to take away from any of the other albums I made in the past where I think they're all I'm happy with all of them but I think I was in a place a different place at the time where I couldn't imagine why someone would like my music or wouldn't like like why why do you like my record like what do I have to offer like I was just like well they're just songs but like breakups or whatever like being alone like I just I, I was just like what is this bringing to the world it's just like you know but like um but now I think that I can I um I think I finally accepted that this is what this is kind of what I do and this is what I need to do and and I may as well enjoy it and and embrace it and keep doing it I think yes and I, I mean I love everything you've done and I think that you it also comes down to one of the nice things about, about getting older is I think you accept things a little easier and compliments have always made me uncomfortable, um, right? And I think that's part of, partially what you're saying is that it's sort of like, it's oh, yeah. hard. how do you take a compliment? What do you do with that? You didn't know what to do with it except to put, put yourself down and go, well, it's just songs about breakups. And it's like, that just describes 99% of the musical canon, right? It's, that, yeah. <laughs> um except for the except for i mean the what else is there in the world right i mean no like sorry sorry wait there's a lot of going on that's worse than that but let's sure, just read but obviously there's like a lot of things that are not right in the world but but that's and so when i just said that as a that was like insensitive 
in the sense like heartbreak gets translated i mean for art bit, yeah right in art yeah. I, mean, um, the artistic. I mean look throw in the talking heads maybe you have a subject matter of buildings and food um but then mostly love yeah. and um yeah. and i think that it's it's the idea of taking a compliment and enjoy and basking in the glow of that compliment and going like okay you know like you've made a great fucking record and it's like that feels good to hear somebody say that. Like, I want to be with you for the rest of my life. That feels good to hear someone say that you must be doing something right. Well, and you know, it's just plain rude. Like I'm realizing it's actually rude. If somebody gives you a compliment instead of the love you record, it would be rude for me to say, oh, like I should, you know, we should learn how to accept compliments because when somebody's giving you the compliment, then it, it just makes everybody feel good. If you say, thank you, like, I'm so glad you like it as opposed to being like, because then if you say, oh, it's not that great, or I did this thing wrong, then that person feels like, oh, maybe, maybe <laughs> I don't know good and was, you know what I mean? Like, it's, right. it's kind of rude to turn down the compliment in a, in a self-deprecating way, like, because it doesn't make them feel better, and it doesn't make you feel better, and yeah, so I, I've spent some time, when I became aware of that, when I was like, okay, that's not cool to actually respond to someone who says, because they're going, they're, they're putting themselves, it's like, it can be, like, really vulnerable to, like, tell somebody, that you really like what they did or that someone yes. maybe and so it it's only re, it's only like respectful to be like to learn how to receive the compliment yeah because they wouldn't say it I don't think that a person would say it if they didn't believe it or they didn't think so why would somebody bother to tell me that they like my show or like my music if they didn't actually like it they have nothing they wouldn't they wouldn't exactly <laughs> they just wouldn't i mean it's almost like when someone gives you a compliment and then you don't take it it's almost like you're giving it back like you know kind of i don't i don't want it's almost like a projection and um yeah i don't want to do that no you don't want to do that and i and i also think when someone says like i want to spend the rest of my life and you go why i'm terrible in the morning and i sometimes i'm cranky and then the person goes yeah maybe i could find someone better <laughs> yeah <laughs> thanks for bring thanks for bringing up those cons <laughs> yeah, well, I think it does. I think it can play out that way. I think I have been known to make that happen, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but is, okay, but what about the compliments that you give yourself? In other words, like you write, like you were kind of hinting at that, where you wrote this album, you made this record, and you went, oh, yeah, like, this is good. Like, it felt, it feels good to you. Is that new? That sounds actually like it is new territory for you. And how does that feel to be so happy with what you've done creatively? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, it's, so I, I will say that I, I loved my other records too. Like when, especially like the, as I got older, the more, like the more confident I got, I did really love those other records. I think that, I think it feels, it's a new, but it is more new territory for me to really, to really like say it to myself. Like, I love this record. I'm so excited, but like, and to feel like really excited about it. And I don't like using necessarily the word proud of it, but I, I am like, I'm excited about it. And I, I am, yeah, it's kind of new territory to have that, that level of like confidence about something that I, that I, I'm putting out. Like the collaborations are a different thing. Like obviously when I do stuff with Mount Erie, like I love all those records and, and I didn't, you know, I just kind of sang and it was like, you know, like that I always love those records and but so or all the collaborations I've been part of but um yeah it's kind of new territory to to feel so confident about something 
that I did. But again, like I feel like it's also a big part of it is because of the everyone who played on it. That's like a huge part of it, actually. So yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's it's good though. Like yeah, you know, I will admit, like when, in the years, like when I played live, like I've never felt like sometimes I have moments of self doubt of like I think we must all question ourselves at some point. Okay. But like most of the time, for me to get on a stage, I have to believe that that's what I should be doing so like I used to always joke about it over the years it's like the people who are getting on stage like you have to tell yourself like you're the shit before you get on the stage like you have to if you're gonna like and I used to do this like I would be like I would be like you you can't get on a show or get on stage and play a show if you don't think that you're that good enough to be doing the show then the show is not gonna it won't your performance won't reach the people I don't think like I'm not saying that I'm what I try to do is I actually believe I think that I, I'm worthy of being on the stage and playing and and you know I I, I mentioned this recently to someone I, I don't know like a month ago it came out and it was the first time I had ever had this realization about uh like why I do music and and it hasn't popped in my head again until now I think it's that the reason I love performing live so much is because I do love music I love playing I really mostly I think love songwriting more than just practicing like I think that whenever I pick up my guitar to practice I end up writing a song so like it's like I try to practice I do scales for two minutes and then all of a sudden I'm writing a song you know it's like I can't stay focused enough to actually practice my I would love to be like a shredder on guitar but I never I just always I can't so anyway I realized that I think one of the reasons why I love doing live shows is because when I'm on stage for that 45 minutes or that hour and I close my eyes and I'm playing the songs like I I'm allowed to be there and no one's going to stop me for that 45 minutes like that's what my job is in that 45 minutes so I can actually play the songs that I've written and I get that chance to like to play them and I'm not going to put my guitar down and go check email or I'm not going to like go make breakfast and I'm not going to like for that 45 minutes of that hour I actually play the songs and and so, because I was asking myself one day, like, why do I perform? It's, is it an ego thing? Like, do I need to have adulation? Like, do I need to be told by an audience that they like the show or that, you know, and I, I think that I'm being honest when I say that I don't think that's why I do it. I appreciate that people, I need people in the audience for me to be able to do the shows. And I appreciate having that, that energy of the people liking the show and the people like, being there because it's a shared experience and and uh but I think that I think I really love playing those songs live uh and sharing those emotions with the people I think I need the whole emotional experience of like being in a room with people and having the energy of people like connecting and, and people feeling the emotions in the same place at the same time and and also the fact that like no one's going to interrupt me for 45 minutes to right. go like on an errand or anything so I don't know I it's an interesting uh, realization to have at this point. I think that's like, to quote the late great Gord Downey, that's sort of like my music at work though, right? That's like, that's how, that's what he, that's partially, I think, what he meant by that. Yeah, you know, that that could be, that, I should reread the lyrics to that actually, but that's a good point, yeah. Yeah. I had always just thought it was like, more like, I mean, I have to listen to all the lyrics. I thought it was more like just music like I'm disgusted I just imagined that it was like well I'm gonna go back and read the, read the lyrics yeah I mean I always interpret it as sort of like 
your music, I mean, your art can pick all mm -hmm. these locks. And whether it's, whether it's doing something out in the world externally or doing something internally, mm -hmm. um, the brilliance of that song and, and that phrase, at least for me, on my, on my interpretive level, um, has always been like that, that, that there's a kind of um, practical function of your art. Mm -hmm. You know, or like you're saying, like when you're playing live, which by the way, some people are terrified of doing that. But for you, that's like this pocket. And that's where your music is, is at work for you in service to you feeling that, that feeling. You know, that's the moment my counselor and I talked about this at one point when I was trying to learn how to like uh, make decisions and, and take like take choice, make choices and take decisions and, and learning how to say no to things and stuff. We talked about that and we realized that like when I get on stage and close my eyes and just start singing those songs is like the time where I feel the most grounded and the most, that's when I actually feel really good and solid and grounded. So it seems like it seems to be something that I actually need uh, yeah. to do. And uh, yeah, it's weird. I you, There are often times where I do feel a little bit, tiniest bit of stage fright, like moments before, like sometimes depending on the situation or if I slept well enough or if I had enough water that day or depending on the crowd or if I'm opening or headlining where there will be like maybe the first song I'll be shaking you know and then but then I get my I find my spot sometimes it takes me three songs before I'm in presently in the show where I'll be thinking still about the laundry or I'll still be thinking about that crazy <laughs> drive I did you know to get to the show or whatever like it's like but so I should probably learn how to like meditate or something before going on. But that also brings the, I mean, I can't go back and undo all those things. I mean, that made the show good or whatever, you know? Um, it certainly gives me some more banter because sometimes I get on stage and I have nothing to talk about. And then, so you don't want to force banter. But sometimes I get on stage and it's like a, like a roller coaster of like, of emotions and comments and <laughs> comedy show or whatever. So sometimes I talk more than I sing, but like mostly now I try to make sure I sing more music than, than talking. But, um, but yeah, no, I think that, uh, I forgot what, I forgot what, I forgot. Well, we were what talking about the, the idea that, that, that on stage is really a sweet spot and a necessary sweet spot for you. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. I also, I mean, I also think that that for you, from what I'm getting, and you tell me if I'm wrong, um, but also tell me if I'm right, is I think that you are, <laughs> like a live performance is different than an album because there, like, there's something about a live moment where revision <laughs> is not possible. Whereas if you're recording an album, you can keep revising, right? Until it's done. Um, and then you can't revise it. But the live performance exists in this moment and you can't, go back you can't change it it's this it's this like singular thing that is that is impervious to revision yeah and you know why I think I identify more with live performance than studio recording is because I don't know how to make decisions and take choices <laughs> and make, make choices and maybe I think that when it's happening in the moment I'm going purely on instinct like when I'm performing live I, I know how okay so I think I have good instincts and I have good gut feelings but I don't know how necessarily to take the decision in the studio or make the choice of things and and I can end up being like well maybe it would be better this way maybe it'd be better that way right I'm not really good at like revision I I think that I like to always go with like kind of the first couple takes like I don't like to spend a lot of time revising and I think that's partly why I write my songs so quickly and don't spend a lot of time rewriting them as well because 
I think I seem to be pretty intuitive and I, and I like to just go with that instead of, uh, yeah. So I think that's why I really love um, live. Uh, whereas, and I think that in the studio you could tend to like, like I have known some people who re-record and re-record and re-record and then, and then, you know, where you go back to the initial one and it was the one, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes you have to try a few different versions to be, to be sure that that was the one. Like sometimes we, we do what's called like a safety take where you like do one more vocal track just to make sure that that one was the vocal track, the first one or the previous, you know, because like, if you keep singing, like, well, maybe I'll try one more, maybe I'll try one more. And then you're getting farther and farther away from the place. So you don't want to go to that far. But when you feel like you've got the take, sometimes you just do one more to see if that was the definitive take or if they still had one more in you that was going to go a little bit farther into the zone. But um, yeah, I think that the idea of revision, I think that I'm not as good at that. And I think that it all comes back to me, like not knowing how to make decisions. But I think in the moment, I know how to, I have strong instincts and strong, strong gut feelings, but I don't all for years I didn't have the confidence to follow my gut feeling mm. and um, only more recently I've learned to pay attention to it or learn to believe in it I guess believing it is, is I think that's the key and I think there there is a school of thought especially we saw this a lot in the 50s with the the beat poets uh, in here in America is they believe that the first draft was the most pure and truest because it was it contained the most ecstatic outpouring of that emotion you were translating Mm -hmm. Um, and so so it feels like you're the closest to um the pilot light almost that you were talking about like you're closest to the flame and the more you revise you're you're basically you're intellectualizing yourself and you're moving further north of the flame yeah I think I like that idea of like sticking with the thing with the pretty much the first thing that came out um for me anyway, because I think that that was what, I mean, cause that's what, I guess I don't like to like mess with, like if that's how it came out, I feel like that's how it, that's what that's how it is. Did. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah well. Although I, I mean, do believe that I think there's, I think it would be great to have like an amazing editor that I trusted who would be like, well, you know, what if you just tweak this word and just that? it's like, oh yeah, that. But at the same time, for me, the way I work, I mean, if I was gonna write, I mean, yeah, so go on. Well, I was thinking like, even when it's like, hey, it's the 40th anniversary of um, this famous novel. And then the author, if they're still alive, they, they go, oh, here, here was the lost chapter that didn't get included. And it's like, no, you just rewrote that because you have been thinking about it for 40 years and you've wanted it. So even, even people who have like works of art that are seemingly done and airtight, they're still tinkering with it. You know, yeah. George Orwell, I'm sure Margaret Atwood uh, would tinker with something if, if you know, I'm sure, I'm, I, don't, I don't think anybody who is an artist is fully ever satisfied. They always want to, you know, put something different that they had mm-hmm. done, um, which doesn't change the core of the work. But I think sometimes cosmetically or just whatever, they always want to tinker. I think that's the nature of being an artist is just perennially not being satisfied. Well, and I think that the nature of being a performer means that like I get to I get to mess with those versions live. Exactly. So so sometimes I, I'll change the structure of the song because I didn't because I wanted to try something different and I can do that live. So I, I get that that 
I'm lucky that way. <laughs> yeah, I think we just figured out why why playing live is so is so vital for you as an artist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you you are. How much should I pay you now? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Sorry, that just turned a beautiful moment into like a transaction. <laughs> no, no. You. It was funny. Um, you are. You, it was so cool. I was interviewing this artist uh, about a year and a half ago who's great. Her name is Pinky with a Y, P-Y-N-K-I-E. And she's from New Jersey. Okay. And she's, I, I think she's in her mid-20s and she's darling. And we were talking and she was telling me how much she loves your music. And I, I was so happy to hear her say that because I thought um, it's so great to hear somebody who's, who's you know, really quite young um, mm -hmm. and she was familiar with the early stuff from when she was probably just a, like two years old. Um, but she knew all the sub pop stuff and she knew all the early stuff. And I thought like, I've always found your music to be so transcendent of space and time. Like I couldn't put it on a timeline and, um, mm. it exists in, in its own place. And I was so happy to hear that, that like the new, the new, new, new generation is, is, is all over it too. I wanted to pass that on to you. Oh, thank you. That's nice to know. Yeah, it's very cool. Yeah, she's great. You, I think you'd like her music. Yeah, um, I'm yeah, Pinky, P Y N K I E. Look, Julie, I have always found this is my compliment to you. So I, I hope you'll take it. I have always found you to be an extraordinary artist, and I've wanted to talk to you for a long time. And I'm so glad that we have done it, and you've made a beautiful album. I'm, I'm putting a lot of compliments in there at once to see how you handle it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I now I only have the only choice I have is to say thank you. Oh. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you for talking to me. I hope you'll come back on the show. I would love to. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. It was a pleasure, by the way. Very nice. A real joy. Thank you. she great julie doiron a, a lovely conversation i really enjoyed it and i should tell you her last name is far more beautiful than my california mouth can manage <laughs> i feel like i'm saying you know julie doiron dude uh doiron it's a french name it's gorgeous trust me i'm uh i'm mangling it in my <laughs> My Bay Area upbringing is not making the French sing the way it should. But what can I do? I'm a California guy. It's very obvious. Julie-Doiron.com. Julie-D-O-I-R-O-N.com. Get her album there. I thought of you. It is beautiful. And if you're putting together your best of 2021 you know, your top 10 albums of the year. Do you do that? I'll bet you, you get this album. It's going to infiltrate that list pretty fast. AlexGreenOnline.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with me. You can follow me on Twitter at Ember's Editor. You can follow me on Instagram at Ember's Podcast or just email me, editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com.
Go to bombshellradio.com to find out what makes our radio station tick. And don't forget, Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on every single podcast platform that's on this planet. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, rate, and review. We would appreciate it. Let's close the show with a longer listen to You Gave Me the Key by Julie Doiron from her new album, I Thought of You. Enjoy it, and I'll see you next time right here. Thank you, as always, by the way, for listening to Stereo Embers, the podcast only on Bombshell Radio. There was never a plan. No need to explain. And here I am, starting over again from the eyes of a baby. From the tops of the trees From the curbs in the street There's never a plan Starting over again No, never a plan Well, your eyes, they helped me See you.